0: The Statue of Liberty is one of the most instantly recognizable symbols of America. But how did Lady Liberty find her home in the waters of New York Bay? It's a story of hopes and dreams and failures and successes, and one that features a number of significant people in history. Hi, I'm George Boracki, and this is Cityscape. A new book takes a deep dive into the history of the Statue of Liberty. It's called Lady Liberty, an illustrated history of America's most storied woman. It includes essays by Joan marins Dim and paintings by Antonio Mossi. Joan and Antonio are our guests on this week's Cityscape. Joan, Antonio, thanks so much for coming in. Nice to be here. So first things first, what three adjectives come to mind when you think about Lady Liberty? Joan, I'm going to start with you.
1: Um, I would say art, uh, poetry, immigration.
2: Antonio? Well, the first one is, for me, is a sigh of relief that I finally made it. Because as an immigrant, when you see it for the first time, you just don't know what to think. The second thing is art. And the third thing is Engineering.
0: Your family immigrated to America from Italy in nineteen forty seven.
2: Yes, all of us did. All ten of us.
0: What was that experience like for you?
2: It's hard to describe if you could just imagine in the middle of the winter, in end of November, beginning of December, you're on the North Atlantic on a freighter with about fifty people in the same room and the ship and the storm going up and down. What was it like? Very hard to describe. I mean, also the food. I mean, they served you hot dogs, and I thought they were sausages. (laughs) Did I get sick? (laughs) (laughs) So it was quite an experience, something you don't forget. How old were you? I was almost eight on the boat. I was a couple of weeks short of being eight. So do you recall
0: seeing Lady Liberty when you arrived? Yeah.
2: It was at nighttime we arrived, but uh, you saw the light. I didn't understand what a light was. I came from a place in Sicily on a farm where there were no lights, no cars, no stores, no stores to buy anything. Everything was made on the farm.
0: What idea of America did you have when you came here?
2: I really didn't know what to expect. I had heard stories from my grandfather and my father and my, but I really all I knew was that We were all going someplace better because being in Europe during the war, there was nothing there, nothing for anyone. So just the whole idea of going somewhere, there was hope.
0: And you came through Ellis Island? No.
2: See, there's a story behind that. My father had been in America at the turn of the century with my grandfather who worked on the 59th Street Bridge for nine years. My grandfather, after the bridge was finished, decided to go back with his family. My father didn't, did not want to go back, so he stayed with the relative. World War I broke out. Italy, at that time, was on the side of the Americans, the Allies. So he was going to go to Italy to register. Someone said to him, why do you want to go there? Sign up for the American army. It's the same battle. So he signed up. That made him a citizen. Hmm. And all of his children after that, I would be naturalized citizens. That's how it happened.
0: Joan, you were born here in the United States, but you are a granddaughter of immigrants. That's correct. You share a story in the book about your maternal grandmother. Yes. She uh, described America as the golden land.
1: Yes, the go- as she put it, the golden medina, which I think was a Russian word. Um, but uh, my story is very different. Um, but one day, I really didn't know much about my background at all. I was a little kid, but we always had a little house in Rockaway. And she took care of me one day, took me to the beach, had lunch for us, and told me the story of her crossing. And as I think back on it, uh, I'm pretty sure she sugar-coated it. Uh, I think it was much worse than she made it sound. And, but she actually told me about the moment that she saw the statue and how much it meant to her, and what this new life meant. She had come from the pale of settlement in, I'm not sure if it was the Ukraine then, or Russia, uh, but they had no future there. The Jews uh, were tormented. They couldn't earn a living. They couldn't move. Uh, Their life was always at risk, and um, it was a bold thing for them to do. And uh, she had, uh, I think, two sisters. And uh, the crossing was rough. Uh, unlike Antonio, who was allowed to go to the deck, the top deck of the ship, she—they were trapped in in the belly of the ship for the 14-day trip, whatever it was. And uh, but they came to America, and my, she married my grandfather, who I believe walked across Europe and took a boat from Scotland. Hmm. At that time, it's really hard to imagine these adventures. Um, And they opened a small cleaning store in Harlem. They became rather prosperous. They moved downtown. They opened a bigger cleaning store. And I wound up growing up with them, with my parents. We lived in a a building called the Belnord, 10-room apartment, very privileged childhood. And that was the American dream,
0: did you visit the Statue of Liberty as a little girl?
1: My father took me one day, and I remembered my uh, grandmother's story. But I don't think until I started really researching this book and thinking about the subject much more deeply that I really understood what what uh, my family went through and so many other families went through. Um, it's amazing. They didn't even, I I doubt if they had more than a few dollars when they got off the boat. Um, They got to Ellis Island, and that was it. You know, their life began.
0: So why do a book about the Statue of Liberty, and why do a book now?
2: Well, for me, it was tracing my background, my, my life. You know, doing the paintings, took me uh, two years to work on and every painting there's a story it reminded me of something in my past my childhood something that occurred why that painting well there's a story behind it you know growing up as a child you have a lot of memories that you just cannot process they're just stored they're stored in your mind subconscious as they say and it was very lucky that this was the avenue, this book. I was able to go and pull them out of myself and process them, especially Ellis Island. I did not go physically through Ellis Island when I came to America, I, but I was many times I went to Ellis Island to visit and to the Statue of Liberty, and I could almost sense and feel what the people went through. There's a section of Ellis Island which most people don't really know about called the Hard Hat Tour. You literally wear a hard hat and you have about 10 people. You have to make an appointment and you are taken to the part of Ellis Island, which is most of it, that is not yet developed the way originally it was. You really get the feeling of what the people went through. You go through the morgue, the dining room, the... Little cells were the people who were kept in who were, had illnesses. The hospital, fascinating tour, besides the Great Hall, which they refurbished for tourism.
0: What was your process like in creating these paintings? Did you spend time on Liberty Island and Ellis Island and then go back home and
2: work on them? My process of working is I have a little tiny sketchbook, which is a three-by-four just fits in the palm of my hand with a little pen. I take photographs as a memory jogger. And if time allowed, which in this case it did not, to actually do some little paintings on site, I would go back and develop those from my sketches, my reference, but most of all, what I remember. My process is very simple. I work for about half of my painting from reference. The other half, I put everything away. And I... And I just work from my memory, because I find if you want to remember the most important things, use your memory. And those are the things that stuck in my mind.
0: Joan, let me ask you that question again: Why this book? Why now?
1: Well, I, I, let me just say this is a book for every American, and every Ameri- and every and everybody who wants to be an American. And uh, the Statue of Liberty, I think, speaks to, uh, symbolism speaks to uh, the very need for welcome and safety and harbor and possibilities that America can offer. And given the tenor of our times, I thought it would be particularly resonant today. Now, it was very important to me not to write a polemic. In fact, I would have preferred never to mention Donald Trump. But I realized very quickly that you could not write a serious book about America today without mentioning Donald Trump. So in the book, I let Donald Trump speak for himself. And I encouraged the reader to make up his or her own mind and what i did at least i mean there are many sections to the book and i think actually young people can read it too it's it's not a dense history purposely so but what i think was most important is to understand america's immigration history because you know our cell on what we are is not quite the same as reality. And when we go back and look at our history point by point, what we really see from the very beginning with Native Americans, uh, we trampled on people's rights. We were nativistic. We were sexist. We were racist. Uh, we, we just were not we, for, there were periods when we were welcoming. It was in our self-interest to be because we were building the country and we needed workers and we needed people. But the, the earliest uh, settlers were Anglo-Saxon. They were white. They were educated. I use John Roebling in the book as a great example of that.
0: The designer of the Brooklyn Bridge.
1: Yes, exactly. I'm sorry. should have told you that. And, and uh, he was, you know, for many Americans, he was the perfect American. But it turns out that all the other people that were coming over—the famine Irish, my uh, poor Jewish grandparents, uh, A- Antonio's—if they had come as early, if had come, you know, these people were not particularly welcome. And there were certain laws that were put down, particularly the 1924 Johnson-Reed Act, which people should really read and compare it to the things that, for example, Jeff Sessions has said. He's a big supporter of the Johnson, you know, which essentially was to keep America white. It's a constant refrain. So I, I wanted to expose what we are, because if we don't know what we are, we can't figure out where we're going to be. And then I wanted to put it in the context of this new administration, a relatively new administration. And and I wanted to find out if Donald Trump was an anomaly or if Donald Trump was a, a logical uh, conclusion to the American story. And and what I came to the conclusion was that Donald Trump isn't an anomaly. We're a very divided nation, and he very skillfully found ways to divide us even more. And And he's continuing to do that. Well, we'll see what happens now.
0: But like you said, up to the reader, to decide to reader, what side decide. of the fence they want to be on there.
1: Exactly. I mean, I never say in the book. It's his, if anything, I say it's it's just he's he's just a continuation of 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 who we are, of of the people who fashioned the Johnson Reed Act, the Chinese Exclusion Act, uh, and all the other things that have happened over the years.
2: There's a lot more to the book than just that. Mhm. There's the, the history of the Statue of Liberty. Yes,
0: and a very rich history, Absolutely indeed. There's,
2: you There is you know, a history of Ellis Island also. There are many parts of this book. It isn't just about the political aspect of immigration. In
0: fact, that comes at the end of Absolutely. the book, the history of immigration. That is a small section mm-hmm. of the book. Yeah.
2: I think the people should understand the book is not taking sides one way no, or the I'm other. No, I'm not. Uh, and it's yeah. only a small section. The main part of the book is the Statue of Liberty. Yeah, let's That's talk. That's what it's called, yeah, Lady Liberty. Let's
0: talk about Lady yeah. Liberty. How was the idea hatched for the Statue of Liberty? Well, the
1: The idea came about at a dinner party given by a man named Le Boyer, who who was a scholar and a great. Um, uh, he, he loved America. He loved the idea of the declaration of independence he loved he loved everything about america and so he had this dinner party and as it turned out it was on the eve of the assassination of abraham lincoln another person he adored and they were sitting around talking about what they could do and he hatched this idea of a statue of liberty a statue at the time i think he called it uh, liberty enlightening the world that was the original name and it took about twelve years to actually create the Statue of Liberty, and it's quite a story uh, with lots of ups and downs. And uh, the um, the sculptor was uh, Frederick August Bartholdi and he was he was quite a good promoter in in somewhat of an American sense, and he got the Statue of Liberty built. And then we came to America, and America was was always meant to be a joint effort. And America was supposed to uh, pay for the pedestal. I think it was about $100,000, but it was equal to about $2 million. And nobody wanted to give. The politicians weren't interested. New Yorkers weren't interested. Very few people gave. And that's when Joseph Pulitzer, sort of the P.T. Barnum of newspapers stepped up to the plate. And he created this ingenious campaign for uh, asking people for money and writing editorials. But what he did was he printed the name of everybody who sent in, whether it was a dime or $10, and he actually raised the money and saved the Statue of Liberty from uh, demise. Well,
2: Pulitzer was also an immigrant.
1: Yeah, Mm. a Hungarian immigrant.
2: So he had a, a... a good reason to push for it, he saw the need and the reason to have a statue here, plus it sold a lot of newspapers for him <laughs> you, know, <laughs> yeah. to, you know to have your name published, and uh, you'd be willing to pay a dime for that
1: yeah he he was he was quite an interesting fellow, and uh, they were lucky to to have his support because the fat cat. Uh, rich people living on Fifth Avenue, were, they could have easily paid for it with writing a simple check, and they just wouldn't do it. And, and governments wouldn't do it. The, the,
2: well, the, wasn't there a, the governor of New York, Grover Cleveland? Right, right. He was a good he, example. He was the governor of New York at the time, and uh, he vetoed a $50,000 grant right. to help build the pedestal of the statue, which cost about $250,000. 2 years later, he was a president. Hmm. And as president, he took all the glory in the inauguration. Yeah. Of the so he was
0: at the dedication.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. He made the big speech that's so famous. There was, about you know, the so altar of liberty. This is politics. This
2: is the. Way yeah, it was. I mean,
1: uh, nobody really wanted to get involved, particularly except for Joseph Pulitzer, and the other thing that about the Statue of Liberty, it went up. And it was dedicated, and, and after all the people involved in it died, um, nothing much happened with it. Nobody was really interested in it. It was just another statue. It wasn't even an original idea, by the way. A so it wasn't a symbol
0: of freedom from the start. Not you know? no, really.
1: No, it was no. It was just a statue sitting on Bedloes Island.
2: Bedloes Island,
0: not Liberty Island at the time, right? Right,
2: exactly. Right. It was just a gift between two nations thanking each other for friendship it was not meant for liberty it was had nothing to do with immigration
0: well, but, that being but, said, then, the lines engraved in bronze on the yeah. base of the Statue of Liberty today are almost as well-known as the statue itself, given you're tired, your are poor, you huddled, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. What's the story behind The New Colossus, the sonnet by poet Emma Lazarus?
1: Well, Emma Lazarus is a very interesting woman. She was, I wouldn't call her a minor poet so much as an unknown poet. Uh, in in the late 18th century, and but she was regarded fairly highly by people who were important. She was asked to write a poem about the Statue of Liberty. That was the poem was going to be auctioned off, and they were going to. It was part of their fundraising gig. It didn't really work out too well, but she did write the poem, and nobody cared much about the poem. Nobody cared much about anything about the Statue of Liberty. And Emma Lazarus was somewhat, she she had a splendid life, but it was short. She died a year after the dedication in uh, 1887. She was only 39 years old. But a friend of hers in 1901, a woman named Georgina Schuyler, was rummaging in a bookstore and she found a book with a sonnet in it. Georgina Schuyler was a socialite. She was a philanthropist. She was uh, rel- related to Alexander Hamilton. She was a woman of some import in New York City. And she decided those five five lines that you just recited should be affixed to the Statue of Liberty. And, and she got it done in, in two years. In 1903, it was put on the statue. Nobody cared. There was no mention of it in the paper. In the papers, there was no uh, ceremony. There was nothing. Nobody cared. It was just another thing that didn't work. But what happened was, after the 1924 Page Act, uh, Johnson and Reed Act, rather, uh, immigration really started to drop. There was more of a press for immigration during the 30s because of fascism, and people began to read the poem, and they began to connect it to the statue, so this gave the statue finally a purpose and a meaning, and and uh, it's survived. it To this day, it survives. In fact, without the Lazarus poem, we wouldn't be sitting here talking about the Statue of mm-hmm. Liberty. Just be another statue. Well,
2: the statue, just to get back to the statue for a second, the art aspect of it.
0: Yeah, you both... Use the adjective "art" when I asked yeah. you at the top of the interview,
2: which seems to be the first, most important thing. The th- it's only the thickness of a penny. It's a very thin, very thin-skinned lady, and I always like to sort of make a joke that most women are so concerned about their waist, how big it is. Well, she's got a thirty-five foot waist <laughs> long. so I don't think anybody should worry about their waist. You know? But the important thing is that originally it was a bronze. It was a different color. And over the years, we see this pewter gray now because oxidation has occurred. And it has gone through renovations like all things outdoors. But the interesting thing about it is the interior, the structure, which was designed the interior structure by Eiffel, the the fellow who designed the Eiffel Tower. But he designed the interior of the Statue of Liberty, if I'm not mistaken, before he did the Eiffel Tower. Hmm. Yes, he did. So this was a great practice for him, how to utilize steel in a modern way.
0: How complicated was the construction of the statue? It was
1: extremely complicated and one of the hardest chapters in the book to write for me because I'm not an an engineer, and I, I actually consulted... Uh, on it quite a bit, but when they started, there there were certain problems because the, the statue had to be transported. So you needed to take it apart after it was built, and then you needed to transport it to America, and then you needed to rebuild it. And then you had the issue of putting it on the Hudson River, on Bedlos Island, where the winds can be as high as 50 miles an hour. So it needed to be able to stand straight and not fall over. Originally there was a guy named Violet Le who was a um he, he was an architect and he was hired to to do the interior structure and uh his idea was to fill it with sand the way the Greeks might have and that would have luckily he died and <laughs> and Bartoldi's greatest choice was, was choosing Eiffel to do it. And and basically what he did was If you imagine just a steel pole in the center of the statue, and then he built arms that that attached to the copper skin of the statue. And he built it so that it could move. Because if it didn't have movement in the wind, if it couldn't be flexible, it was going to topple over if it was rigid. And today we realize that Eiffel's construction was revolutionary in its time. And uh, it's probably, you know, when you talk about the statue and how they built it and what they did, that was the most important point because they could dismantle it, they brought it over, they rebuilt it, they put it there on Bedlos Island, now Liberty Island, and it's doing very well. It's not going to ever topple over.
0: You include a story in the book about how the arm of the statue was being shown before the statue itself, leading some to think that Bartholdi was office rocker. Yes, yes, right. <laughs> he
2: thought he was crazy. <laughs> well, they were using that to raise money. Yeah, that was It was one in of... Philadelphia. There was an exposition in Philadelphia, and they brought it over. And for $0.35, cents, people couldn't walk up the arm. <laughs>
0: just, the arm. Was, just the arm. <laughs> just the arm.
2: Just for the money, to raise money, because it was hard. The Americans in general were not giving their money. They had to raise $250,000. Which a lot of money lot back of money. then. That was, sure. two, that was about $2 million. Wow. Yeah, it was a lot of money. and um, So they thought this was one of the ways to, they, I don't know whether they charged $0.35 cents or $0.25 cents to walk up there. Bartoldi
1: was always trying to come up with schemes for raising money. He did the same thing in his Paris workshop where he would charge French the French uh, to come in and just look at her. Uh, and... You know, it helped. Every little penny helped. And Bartoldi himself came from a very wealthy family. That's probably why he got invited to that La Bouille dinner party, because he probably had it in his head. This guy he likes Colossi. Maybe he could get the money to do it. And ultimately, he did.
0: You say in the book that the design for the Statue of Liberty may have come from Bartoldi's rejected final designs for another project. Right.
2: Mm-hmm. He so, was a, for an Egyptian... Uh, the, when the Suez Canal was, was finished, he had this grand idea of building a statue there, of a, a woman holding a light. I think it was to connect the east and the west at that point.
1: Yeah, and and it was rejected because it was way too much money. Yeah. And then he, t- you know, he always denied this, but uh, I I think it's he he just re- kind of rejiggered that statue and created. The Statue of Liberty, but by the way, you know the Statue of Liberty was not an original idea. There are many Statue of Liberties all over Europe. Uh, so even he wasn't a particularly original guy, uh, but he was focused. Uh, ambition, persistent ambition is, is the secret of Bartoli. Not great artistry.
0: Who served as the model for the
2: Statue of Liberty's face? Well, Do we know? The, no. He, well, he claims it was his mother.
1: Yeah, but some say it's his wife. Who knows?
2: But I would tend to think his mother. He was more attached to her and didn't get married until after he was 40. And she <laughs> was, uh, he didn't get married until after and I know, he was,
1: he was 42 years old. But, but I, I mean, actually, it was a very good marriage. They were very happy together. And his mother was a very overbearing, pain-in-the-neck woman. Who and, had all the money. Yeah, and she had all <laughs> the money, and that, that was the secret of her control. Um, so
0: we can determine this based on photographs or paintings of these women. Mm. I would, I
2: would tend to think it's the mother. Yeah,
1: I don't really have an opinion. It's hard to know. Uh, As an I artist, think...
2: I would say it's the mother. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>
0: How old did you two come to work together? <laughs> <laughs> We're both
2: smiling. <laughs>
1: Well, a long time ago. Uh, Antonio sat next to me in French class when we were students. At high school. In high school. Where was this? High school of what's now art and design. And uh, I was a cartooning major and he was illustration. Illustration. And
0: you just stayed friends all of these years? Yep. Yeah. Wow. What surprised you most about the history of the statue?
2: The history of the statue was, to me, was the most interesting part. It was how thin-skinned she is. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, you would think she has very thick skin, yeah, right?
2: Yeah, but she very thin skin, but she survived beautifully.
0: How about you, Joan? What surprised you most in doing this project?
2: Well,
1: let me couch that, the answer slightly differently than your question. I, I think what me, really made me realize the sacrifices that were made... For me uh, to have the kind of life I have by my grandparents. They, I, I would not have had the life I have if it weren't for them and for America.
0: Joan, thank you so much. Thank you. Antonio, thank you.
2: Thank you for having us.
0: The book is Lady Liberty an illustrated history of America's most storied woman. Essays by Joan Marin Stim, paintings by Antonio Mossi. And that's it for this week's Cityscape. I'm George Boldarki. My thanks to producer Maddie Bristow. Our music is courtesy of Blue Dot Sessions. If you liked this episode, be sure to rate and subscribe to Cityscape on Apple Podcasts. You can also listen to Cityscape on Spotify, Google Play, SoundCloud, TuneIn, and Stitcher. Make sure to follow us on Twitter and Facebook at WFUV Cityscape to stay up to date between episodes. Thanks so much for listening.